So yeah, Ephesians 2. We're, I know we're just kind of plopping right in the, in the middle of, what's, of what Paul's doing uh, to the church or what he's saying to the church in Ephesians. So he's, he's basically just been encouraging them with the gospel of Jesus, right? The good news of Christ, that, that creator almighty God would call mere humanity into a relationship with him based on his goodness, his faithfulness, and his love. And out of that, Paul argues that we ought to be changed. There should be a new way to live and a new way to to go about our lives. And so he's talking about this new humanity in Christ, how he makes us alive, gives us a new way to live. That's what he says in chapter 2, verse 5, that we were dead in our sins, but he then makes us alive in Christ. And it's all for a purpose, to see to see God glorified, to give God the glory, because in fact, he saves us, not the other way around. So he says in, in verse eight, right, that this is a, uh, we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift from God, not that we can boast. There's nothing good in us. And so it's a gift from this loving and faithful God. And that's what God is all about, turning death into life, bringing peace where there was hostility. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, bringing peace where there was hostility. And so today, in the second half of chapter two, Paul gives a very clear example of what that actually looks like, a very real life, uh, practical way to live out this new humanity and this peace that comes from Jesus. And so it's this earth-shattering idea, at least in the time, and even today still, it's this earth-shattering idea that God's kingdom of peace is open to everyone, even to people that you might not think And even to people you might not want it to be open to, God's kingdom is open to everyone. That ought to give us joy and a a hope that even we sinners can be brought into and in fact are brought into the fold of God through that faith in Jesus. And then that ought to give us mission and motivation to bring that that gift of reconciliation, that, that inclusion, and that's a key word, that inclusion to the world around us and to our communities. And so we're gonna read from verse 11, uh, and then we'll we'll pray. Paul writes this, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." And Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, we recognize, we confess that we need your gift of grace. God, we recognize that we are sinners, and so fill us with your spirit, Lord, as we read this text, and Lord, give us ears to hear and and eyes to see, Lord, hearts to understand what you would speak to us. 
Lord, and that you might even illuminate by your light, Lord, the things that might need to change as we are sanctified and made into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So God, be with us this morning, we pray. We love you. In your name, amen. Well, we live in a society um, that is centered around belonging to something. We want to belong. Everyone wants to belong to something, to, to someone. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to be appreciated uh, by, by people. But not just any people. We want to be appreciated and known and loved and belong to, to something that is similar to us, people that like us, people that we like, people who we admire or respect. And our culture then has created a thousand different ways to belong to something. This is why there are clubs and teams and stereotypes and groups and organizations and institutions and fandoms and subcultures and associations and fashions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our culture has made a thousand ways to belong to something. Who or what we belong to is actually central to our identity. This is what we are built around, even down to the school you attended, to the industry that you work in, to the neighborhood that you live in, but we don't just want to belong to anything. We want to belong to the right thing, the good thing, right? My group is better, is actually the best, which implies, of course, that your group is not so good. What I belong to, where I live, what I do, my identity is actually the correct one. My industry is the one that God honors is the one that's the best. My lifestyle is the right. And so we pursue that belonging. This is our pursuit in life. It's interesting then that people still feel alone and isolated and unknown. There was a survey recently of 20,000 U.S. adults that showed 40% feel alone. 47%, almost half of U.S. adults feel left out. Whatever that means, but almost half feel left out. 43% feel isolated. And I imagine that number has gone up in recent months, but with the isolation and lockdowns. But 43% of U.S. Americans feel isolated. Generation Z, those people who are about 24 years old and younger, what we would consider the most connected generation, actually feels the loneliest. Americans are more lonely now than ever before. And some of this, of course, is natural. It's a part of life. Exclusion and and isolation is is part of what we just go through as humans. You can't be friends with everybody all the time, always everywhere. We get that. The problem is that this exclusivity is especially severe when when it's intentional and or universal. I can feel excluded when, of course, my friends leave me out or when when they exclude me, when I'm not being, uh, when I'm not fit in or I'm I'm not able to to do whatever my group is doing. When I accomplish something or I tried and I work hard, but it's not appreciated, it's not known, it's not seen, nobody is noticing me, or I can do the excluding. I can leave people out. I can push people away because they don't agree, they don't see what I see, they don't believe what I believe. And so I can do the excluding. This is such an epidemic because we've grown up in a culture that states the most important thing in life is you. Be your own God, follow your own dreams, follow your heart, do what makes you happy, do what makes you feel good. And all of this does is lead to more isolation and depression and loneliness because when things don't go my way, when I can't accomplish my dreams, when I can't follow my heart, when it goes sideways, what am I left with? Loneliness and isolation. See, when I've been told that I'm constantly number one, I can't be satisfied until that's the case. 
but that can never be the case because you've been told that you're number one. And so we can't be, both be number one, and this is an endless trap that there's no escape in because as soon as I make myself number one, I'm saying that you're not number one. And as soon as you make yourself number one, then I can't be number one, and there's this tension and this clash, and so I'm excluding people that don't see me as number one, so either I'm being excluded or I'm doing the excluding, and that's really the joy of being in the inner circle, of being included. It's seeing all you losers on the outside. <laughs> and especially, it's even more so, if you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you, then how much better it is. And that's just on the personal, interpersonal level, what about our, 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 our large-scale segregation and separation and exclusion, all the isms of our day, right? Sexism and classism and racism is the hot topic today. This is the broken world in which we live. It's fractured, it's lonely, it's depressed, and there is an overall lack of peace because of how we live. And the church is not immune to this. We can feel isolated from people. We can feel isolated from God even, that God doesn't know me, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care for me. Obviously, look at my life, look at it around, look at how lonely and upset my life is. And Paul explains that our separation, I'll use the term barrier, from God is due to our sin. We understand that, we get that, we read the story of the Bible. But Paul here in chapter 2 goes a little bit further and says your isolation also from people, your broken relationships is also due to that barrier of sin. Paul makes it clear, you were once on the outside. Jesus was the plan all along, the reconciliation of the world. This is the gospel that Paul preached, Christ and him crucified to reconcile us. And now we have a hope and a new humanity, and we're given a mission to carry that reconciliation out to a world that is overcome with loneliness. And so Paul outlines the mindset that the Ephesian church ought to have in order to accomplish this. He begins with reminding the church of what they were before Jesus. In verse 11, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and you had no hope without God in the world. They really were isolated. There was a line in the sand, Jew or Gentile. That's how it was. And, and Paul understands these are, these are physical differences, man-made differences, but the root cause is that you really were without Christ. The reason you were alienated, the reason you, you didn't have that lack of belonging is because you had no hope. You were without Christ, you were separated from the blessing of God's people, and you were ignorant of the covenant. The root cause of your divisiveness here in this world, on this earth, is because of our separation from God. And the problem for us is when we're separated from God, we begin to idolize other things in order to mend that divide. Oh, I just need to, to get better friends. I just need to get different friends. I just need new friends altogether. I just need friends. We, I just need a, a, a different job. I need to work in a different industry. I need to move to a different neighborhood. I can get a raise and I can drive a different car. I can live a different life. I need to belong to a different group. I need to put my time and efforts into something new. And that idolatry only inevitably leads to the society that we found ourselves describing earlier. I'm number one. You all serve my intentions to make me happy. And it just perpetuates those isms of our day. And there's an overall lack of peace because alienation from Christ causes alienation from other people around us. But here's the good news, Paul says in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Amen, hallelujah. We've been brought near, and this is the whole gospel summed up. Jesus' blood is what it costs to reconcile the world back to God himself. God in Jesus bore the cross, took our sin, spilled his blood, and made the way to bring us near to include us in the household of God, as we'll see at the end of the chapter. Jesus had to go outside to bring us in. And God couldn't just overlook our sin. He couldn't just wash it or just put it away. Jesus had to pay the price. He took our sin, and in so doing, he recycles death into life by raising again on the third day on Easter morning. He, he takes the, the separation and he turns it into friendship. He takes the brokenness and turns it into healing. He takes the, the isolation and turns it into reconciliation. He takes the, the, the chaos and the trouble and the disorientation and the, the broken relationships of our world and turns it into peace. In fact, that's what he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, and here it is, thus making peace. He himself is our peace. What a profound statement. I mean, do you, do you see that? Do you see the implications there? Do you see what Paul is not saying? Well, it wouldn't be a sermon from Pastor Tyler without a C.S. Lewis quote. And so, in, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, talking about peace, says this, even God himself, cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Peace is probably the thing most lacked in our world. It's probably the thing most desired by people. That's why Isaiah, we love to say uh, the, the Christmas card verse, right, in chapter 9 of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Oh, amen, Isaiah. When is he going to come? <laughs> Where is this Prince of Peace? We're so excited about this because I opened up Twitter this morning and I did not see a peace in our world. And so you fast forward and you get to Luke chapter 2 and the angels are proclaiming to the shepherds of that night, right? Glory to God in the highest. Why? Peace on earth. He's here. That guy that Isaiah talked about so many years ago is here, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And you can fast forward a few thousand years and we say, well, where is this peace? We talk about world peace in an era of constant warfare and military might. We talk about personal inner peace in an era of unprecedented levels of anxiety and worry and depression and broken relationships. Society talks about working hard to, to attain peace, to make peace, to keep the peace, to find that inner peace. We, we work for world peace, and all the while, church, we lose sight of the truth, that peace is not something that we can manufacture or, or attain as if it were an object. Peace is a person that we've been brought near to by the blood of Christ. Amen and amen. It's, it's a Messiah that has come to heal and to save, and his name is Jesus. As if we could find peace apart from God. <laughs> As if we could search and, and try to, to, to manufacture something out of ourselves. There is no such thing, Lewis says. He himself is our peace. He himself is the solution to anxiety and depression. He himself is the solution to alienation and loneliness, to hatred and violence that we see in our world. He himself 
is the solution to everything that isn't right in our broken world. When you turn on the news or open up social media, whatever the case is, and you say, that isn't right. This isn't how it ought to be. He himself is the solution. He himself is our peace. And so that hostility has been destroyed in verse 14. He says he's broken down that middle wall of separation, that word can be called hostility. He's broken, he's destroyed the hostility. That broken relationship between creation and creator has been destroyed by the cross. And now that hostility between man and man can be destroyed. The Gentile and the Jew in Paul's example. And we read this and we go, well, I don't have any problems with Gentiles or Jews. Like, I live in Southern California. This is not my, this is not my fight. This is not, what, what does this have to do with me? And of course not. But the truth is the us and the them mentality is alive and well. We still have problems with people around us. We take issues with people around us. We have issues with people that we don't like, people that are different, those who are outside of our group, people who are different than us, have different ideologies, different traditions, different backgrounds, different behaviors, different political parties, et cetera, et cetera. We have issues with people. Paul gives one example. He says those who are circumcised and uncircumcised, which was a huge point of contention in the early church. The Jews who were, had it right. Our group is the, is the right group. Our group is the way to do it. And you have the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. They're, they're sub-Christian. They've got to do more steps. They've got to make it happen on their own. This was a huge point of divis- division and even hostility. I mean, just read through the book of Acts. Huge hostility for, between us and them. And we can fast forward 2,000 years, and not much has changed in the church. This kind of hostility and exclusion is simply not the plan in the heart of God. Verse 16 is the plan, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death that enmity, that hostility, that separation. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off. (laughs) Yeah, get them, Jesus. Oh, and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. The plan of Jesus giving access to both us and them. To the Father through the spirit of Jesus Christ. This is the plan. And so Paul gives them the reminder. Hey, remember where you were. Paul gives them the good news. You've been brought near. Paul gives them the plan that we should have access to the Father. And then look at the result. Verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Praise the Lord. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The household of God is the result of this kind of mindset that glorifies our God. Look at the phrases, fellow citizens, household of God, being fitted together, being built together. Note the unity in that. This is unifying language, and it's all with one common foundation, right? That they were all conservative Americans. Oh, wait, no. That they were all had a foundation in Jesus Christ. This was their common chief cornerstone 
on Jesus. And also note the, pro- the progression that Paul uses in his metaphors. I love the brilliance of Paul's language. The household of God, the closeness, the togetherness, the, the family unit being built and fitted together into a building. It's growing, it's more complex, it's larger, it's visible into the temple of God. Where, where if in, in the ancient times, if you would go into a city and you wanted to know what they worshiped, what they were about, how they conducted their business, what their priorities were, you could go to the, the temple and find out everything there was to know about that, that demographic, that people, that city. When people look at the church and they want to know what we worship, what we're about, how we do business, what our priorities are, are they seeing God? Are they seeing Jesus? Are we being built and fitted together into a temple of the Lord? And then Paul says, ultimately, taking this metaphor even further, the dwelling place of God, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, the dwelling place where God lives. Paul says, when the Jew and the Gentile are together unified under Jesus Christ, this is where God lives. This is where he dwells, this is where he abides, this is where he is seen and felt and known. When us and them are unified under Jesus Christ because of what he has done, he spilled out his blood, this is where God lives. This is where he is seen and known and worshipped. When all the isms of our world are tossed out because of what Jesus did on the cross, this is where God lives. When my number oneness is, is... pushed aside, is destroyed because I have nothing left to stand on when I look at Jesus on the cross. This is where God lives. It's not about my group and your group. It's not about my side and your side. This is where God lives. It's where his kingdom is shown here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we pray. Lord, your kingdom come and we get to play a part in that. See, it's not about belonging to anything new. It's not about belonging to anything else, really. It's about, do I find myself where God dwells? Am I being fitted together because of what he has done for me? And so the question is, when I read these verses, where do I find myself? Maybe, maybe I'm doing some excluding in my life. Maybe there's, some, maybe there's some exclusion, there's some pride, there's some hostility in my words or in my thoughts or in my deeds. Am I actually supporting those middle walls of separation of hostility that Jesus tore down? Maybe I'm building them back up little by little because of my mindsets and my worldviews and my ideologies and my group, my side. I need to examine that. What hostility and enmity still lingers in my heart? Maybe today, I don't know, you're feeling, you identify more with the stranger and the foreigner, (laughs) searching, looking for that crowd, looking for that something to belong to, having that feeling of being known and being seen. Maybe you're working hard today for peace, to make peace just for peace's sake. In other words, just doing it because, well, I don't know, we're supposed to be good people, I think. We're supposed to make the world a better place. So I'm going to work hard for peace. Maybe that's the case, but it's not working. <laughs> Would you heed the comforting words of Paul today? He himself is our peace. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus abolished and put to death the enmity. We have access now to the Father. We can be where God dwells. In fact, surely we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That was actually David from Psalms. That wasn't Paul, but you get the idea. This is the words of the Lord.